You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. I do own one. (laughs) Clear up that myth. All right, do you remember, do you remember the day that you decided to live your life with no regret? You remember that day? Now, for some of you, that might have been quite recently, or for others, maybe decades ago or, or, or many months ago, years ago. Do you remember the day that you decided to live your life with no regret? Usually, this doesn't come out of one moment in time, though it can. Usually, there are a series of moments or activities or, or things that took place, some really good or painful, that led you to that place. And, and my story is no different. I remember the first time I made this decision, though God has had to reaffirm it and bring me back to it over and over and over again. But the first time I made this decision, I was coming out of a season of what you might call prodigal living. I was living sinfully and uh, was not proud of that, but it would cause separation between me and God. And over a series of events, going to a church camp and hearing some sermons and, and just going to some places and hearing God speak over these different moments in my life, God drew me back into a relationship with himself. But I was struggling to still live out those new commitments to God. I was still struggling to be faithful and obedient to all that he had called me to do. And I'll never forget it. I was uh, at home in my, in my family room, my parents' house, in the family room, and for some reason, it was either late at night or everybody was out. I was a late teenager, and I was home by myself, and I was watching the movie Braveheart. Can I get an amen from the men in the room? Now, men of a certain age do not know what I'm talking about, and the rest of us will pray for you, but the movie Braveheart is about a guy named William Wallace, and William Wallace is on a mission to free Scotland from the tyranny of England. It is an amazing story, and if you look at it through certain lenses, it has unbelievable power and connection to the gospel of Jesus Christ, who came to free us from the tyranny of the enemy. And there's this particular moment where it becomes clear that Scotland is going to lose its battle for freedom if it doesn't get the nobles or the the men really with the power, the wealth, the land to join them in the battle. They've got the armies. They've got really what it takes to make it really a decent fight, except for that none of them want to sign on because they've got these kind of deals worked out with England or whatever, and they don't really want to lose anything. They don't want to sacrifice anything. They don't want to give anything up. So there's many parts of the story that were connecting with me because that's where I was in my life. Much of the down season I went through came because I didn't really want to make sacrifices. I didn't want to be, uh, I didn't want to go through hardships for Christ. I mean, I wanted to want it, but at every turn when the opportunity was there, I just kind of kept failing God. And so I was relating on many different levels, but there's this moment where an important character in the story, a guy by the name of Robert the Bruce, He calls a one-on-one meeting with William Wallace, and William Wallace, again, is the hero who's leading the rebellion. And Robert the Bruce is probably the most influential man of these nobles, the Scottish nobles. And the goal of the one-on-one is for Robert the Bruce to tell him, I'm in, you can count me in. And that was key because now he'd bring his armies, he'd bring his resources, and he could probably sway many of the other men to go with him into the battle. Except for that when Robert the Bruce went to meet with William Wallace, his dad, Robert the Bruce's dad, had set up some sort of coup, and all of these soldiers came out and beat William Wallace unconscious, and they arrested him and took him off. And it eventually led to William Wallace's death by the end of the movie. What happened was Robert the Bruce then went back and had a conversation with his dad, and it went something like this. Dad, who, by the way, his face is disfigured with leprosy, He said, I'm the one who's rotting, but I think your face looks graver than mine. 
Son, we must have alliance with England to prevail here. You achieved that. You saved your family, increased your land. In time, you will have all the power in Scotland. To which Robert the Bruce replied, lands, titles, men, power, nothing. His dad says, nothing? Robert the Bruce says, I have nothing. Men fight for me because if they do not, I throw them off my land and I starve their wives and children. Those men who bled the ground red at Falkirk fought for William Wallace. He fights for something that I never had. And I took it from him when I betrayed him. I saw it in his face on the battlefield and it's tearing me apart. His dad said, all men lose heart. Now at this moment, before I get to where really God spoke to me, because I'll tell you, God will speak in a number of ways. God has used some pretty sinful or dark things to challenge me and speak to me. But in this moment, he used this movie and this particular line. Because he goes on, Robert the Bruce, and he says, I don't want to lose heart. I want to believe as he does. And then he pauses and he says, I will never be on the wrong side again. That night, it was a good thing nobody else was in the room because uh, the allergies were strong. <laughs> it was just me and God and a TV. And we didn't have TiVo back then, so the movie kept going, and I was like a little baby. And part of what was going on in my life is there's this critical moment in the scene where Robert the Bruce and William Wallace's eyes meet, and God had just led me through the story of Peter, where Peter denies Jesus three times, and in Luke, it says that their eyes met right after that. And the rooster crows and Peter is broken. And I was seeing myself in Peter's story and now I was seeing myself in this story and I felt a lot like Robert the Bruce. Like I had betrayed my Lord, I had failed him. But yet he was generously, graciously, mercifully calling me back into a right relationship with him. And not just that, but propelling me to go on his behalf. And I was terrified of all the potential outcomes, what might come if, and all the things, and, and I couldn't control all those things, and I knew that God was asking me to serve a God who refuses to be controlled. He refuses to be defined. He refuses to be put in a box, and yet he was calling me to go and do it and follow him and trust him and watch him show up, but here's the thing about God. God, guys, rarely, rarely does God give you everything you need before he tells you to go. See, if you have everything you need, if you have every answer, every detail in front of you before you go, that's not called faith. Faith is acting out of conviction on what you do know, even when it doesn't make any sense. In fact, I like to call these precipice moments, precipice moments. You know what a precipice is, right? A precipice is where you're standing like on the edge of something. It's a rock, it's a mountain, it's a cliff. And you're looking over something beautiful and glorious. Well, when you apply that to life situations, this is when you're standing on the edge of something awesome, <laughs> And the weight of the moment has fully captured your attention. You ever pull out your camera when you're standing on a precipice and you're trying to take a selfie and hope you don't fall to your death? Have you ever been in those moments though? And you go back later and you look at the picture and you're showing your friends, you're like, man, you should have seen these. And then you hold it up and you're like, it just doesn't do it justice. There's just no way to capture that moment. But the weight of that moment was huge. So that's life. And in those moments, you have a choice, a fork in the road moment where you could choose to go left, you could choose to go right, but your choice will dictate whether you live your life full of regret or not. Now think about this in the Bible for a minute. The Bible's full of precipice moments. We've talked about them throughout this series. So in a lot of ways, this is a summary. 
But think about it. God goes to a guy named Moses, and he says, Moses, come follow me. I'm going to use you to free my people, the Israelites. Moses has a choice. Do I go or do I not? God goes to Abram, later changes his name to Abraham, and says, Abraham, I want you to follow me into a land. I'll show you. I want you to leave your mom. I want you to leave your father. I want you to leave everything you've known behind and just go. Where are we going? Don't worry about it. Follow me. God goes to a guy named Daniel. You may not know Daniel's story real well. Real well? <laughs> Daniel, sorry. Some things aren't planned, you know? Daniel is in the book of Daniel. It's powerful. He and his buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are living in a very corrupt country. And the country has all kinds of rules that basically will divide you from God if you follow the rules. And even in the face of death, Daniel and his friends say, you know what? We don't care. Whatever you could do to us, do your worst because we would rather follow God and trust him to work it out. And in a country and a culture that required faithlessness, they chose to be faithful. Jesus goes to Peter, says, Peter, I want you to leave your boat and I want you to leave all your fishing gear behind. Come follow me. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Oh, by the way, at the end of Peter's life, he was crucified upside down. I wonder if Peter knew all of that at the beginning. Would he have still made the same trade? I'm guessing, yeah. What about Paul? Paul's going around persecuting Christians, having him arrested, even killed. And he says to Paul, Paul, I want you to leave all that life behind of hurting me and I want you to come and love me, serve me. See, each of them was at a precipice moment, and each of them had a choice. Do I go forward with God regardless of the consequences, regardless of the cost, regardless of anything else? Do I love him enough to do that? See, at the end of the day, it's very, very, very difficult to separate faith from works. In fact, there are passages in the Bible you will read that almost marry the two together, which creates confusion, it creates Cults, actually. It creates heresy and false doctrine all the time. Because if we don't rightly divide the word of God, then we misunderstand. We are not saved by works. The Bible says we are saved by grace through what? Faith and not by works. But it's very, very difficult to separate the two. Because the Bible quickly says when we are saved, we are saved for works. So much so that there's all these passages in the Bible that seem to put them together as one. For instance, James comes along and he says, you say you are saved and you're going to show me by your faith. I tell you I am saved and I'll show you by my works. He didn't say I'm saved by my works. He said, I'll show you by my works, by my good deeds, which is funny because he says, you know, faith without works is what? Dead. Now imagine you're walking down the road here, maybe just walking through the halls here at Kingsway and you see somebody say, hey man, I haven't seen you in a couple weeks. How you been? I've been on vacation. Oh, I bet you're feeling good. I'm feeling great. Man, how's your faith right now? That's awesome. Really, what are you doing to be obedient to God? Absolutely nothing. Isn't it great? This is what's going on, by the way, in the church in Corinth in many ways. They are being completely disobedient and celebrating grace and Paul goes off on them, says, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? You cannot divorce salvation and works. Again, not saved by them, saved for them, to do them. This is why Paul says in Ephesians that God created you for good works, works that he prepared in advance for you to do. In fact, it kind of looks like this. Here's the chart that uh, we've been using. It kind of walks us through this whole um, series we've been doing in the book, Experiencing God. So here's God. God is at work in the world. He's at work right now. 
and the smallest corners of refugee camps in Syria, all the way to places in Peru, even Antarctica, if there's people there, um, even Alaska for those five people, and um, here in Avon, in your backyard, in your school, in your neighborhood, and in your workplace. And God is calling you to join him in that work. But because God is good and faithful and loving and kind, he rarely just says, hey, go do this. Instead, he leads you on a journey to get where he wants you to go. So he develops a relationship with you because God is real and personal. He wants a relationship with you. And then he invites you to join him in that work. This is when people say, I don't know what God's doing, but he's doing something in my life. I'm starting to sense, I'm starting to feel, I'm starting to be convicted about things. I don't know what he's doing, but I'm, I'm getting this thing. Then he speaks and he starts to make clear, okay, here's what I want you to do. Here's where I want you to go. But it's usually at that moment that we end up in a crisis of belief. A little bit of fear and anxiety and trepidation slips in because we go, do you know what that's gonna cost? Do you know how much time that's gonna take? Do you realize the investment? I can't do all that. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not good enough. I don't have what it takes. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too broken. I'm too sinful. Fill in the blank. And then it's at that moment that we have to decide, do we believe God is who he says he is, that he will do what he said he will do, and that we can just simply take a step of faith and trust him to never fail us? If so, we move on to the next stage, which is adjusting our lives to accomplish his purposes. And that's the beginning of the fork in the road that leads us to obedience. And the danger in never making it to step seven is that we miss out on really finding out who God is. Reality number seven from experience of God is this. You come to know God by experience as you obey him and he accomplishes his work through you. Jesus says it this way, John chapter 14, verse 21. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my father. And I too will love them and show myself to them. So what if I don't obey him? Does that mean I don't love him? Obedience is not just a good idea. It's a God idea. In fact, in the book, Henry Blackaby says it this way. Obedience is the outward expression of your love for God. Obedience is the outward expression of your love for God. Well, I want to share a story with you. Um, this comes from my friend, and his name is Dan. Dan grew up in a Christian home, going to a Christian school, and attending a church a lot. His dad was in a Christian band. His life was inundated with faith. But by Dan's own account, that faith didn't always equal obedience. In fact, there came a point when he was a teenager, he was convicted by God that God was calling him into ministry. But in Dan's own words, he says this, I had a definite crisis of belief moment. I hated speaking in front of people. I was not a leader. There was no way I could ever be a pastor. Besides, I'm not sure what it is that I want, that that was what I wanted for my life. Pastors do not make much money. And I had seen the added stress that it put on my best friend's family. Instead of pursuing that calling, I disobeyed God and I pulled a Jonah. I was not sure what God calling me into ministry meant, but I knew I did not want to be a pastor standing up on a stage in front of a bunch of people all the time. Our pastor and his family ended up moving to another church when I was in high school, and that led me to eventually leaving church altogether. I began to live my life the way I wanted and tried to experience everything I thought I was missing. 
Near the end of my senior year of high school, I met a beautiful girl who is now my wife. He's smart for saying that. She was one of the closest people to God I had ever met. And she was definitely the spiritual leader in our home. If we went to church, it was because she made me. If we prayed, it was because she did it. If we read the Bible, it was because she read it. I would go to church on Sunday, hear the pastor preach a convicting message, walk out of church feeling guilty, and then go about the week as usual. A few years into our marriage, right before our son was born, God began convicting me of my sin in my life, and I began repenting and seeking God. I started wanting to truly experience God. Honestly, I was tired of learning about God and never applying any of that knowledge in my life. So I began serving at Kingsway, except God was still calling me to more, and I did not know what more was. God then led me through a series of moments where it's, whether it's clear now that he was going to answer that question for me. So I did what any detail-oriented, control-hungry person would do. I came up with a plan to direct God's steps. And then I reached out to Matt Nickerson to see if I could talk to him sometime and tell him my ideas for God. For some reason, Matt said yes, and we met at Starbucks, surprise, on a very early morning. At first, he, I, wanted to know more about me and my wife. Eventually, the conversation led to me explaining that I felt God calling me to be a pastor when I was in my teens, and I regretted deeply that I never took a step of faith. Was it possible God is calling me to that now? Matt then said exactly what I did not want to hear. He said, I think you need to go on a short-term mission trip. What? Uh, No, no, no. I mean, I know you're the pastor, but I really think you got this one wrong. I have never been on an airplane. I have never been out of the country. And being out of control makes me really uncomfortable, said everybody in the room. Obviously, I did not tell all of this to the pastor, but I did say something like, well... My wife is pregnant, we have a one-year-old at home, and by the time I went on a trip, she would have to manage two kids under two years old all by herself. He simply looked at me and said, yeah, it'll probably be difficult, but I've seen God use those experiences to grow both spouses. I walked away from that conversation thinking this did not go how I planned. He, by the way, you may not want to invite me to coffee. He encouraged me to reach out, and that same day, I sent an email to the church's missions assistant And I started asking about possibly joining a trip to Haiti in the summer. After a lot of prayer with my wife, we agreed that God was calling me to go. So God used that trip to open my eyes to begin to see as he sees. Quickly, I developed a heart not only for Haiti, but for all the nations. Soon after, I would face another crisis of belief moment, though. I was eating at a local sub shop on my lunch break regularly. I started to develop a relationship with a cashier named Stephen. He's a great guy. Each time I talked to Stephen, I just felt like God was prompting me to tell Stephen about how God is pursuing a real and personal relationship with him also. This was my crisis of belief. You ready? Tell me if you've ever felt this way. What if I don't say the right words? What if I see him every week? How awkward would it be to see him again and he doesn't like what I have to say? You know, I, I know what I'll do. I'll just talk to him next time and maybe somebody else will say it. It doesn't have to be me, right? I was given three very clear opportunities, convictions by God, and I never took them. One day I entered the restaurant and I did not see Stephen. And immediately I knew in my spirit something was wrong. I went to order my sub and I asked the cashier where Stephen was and she answered, oh, I'm so sorry, Stephen was in a car accident and killed last night. I cannot begin to explain to you the regret I felt. God had clearly convicted me to share the love God had shown me to Stephen, and I never 
took that step of faith and did it. I truly thought I had all the time in the world and would just do it later. At the very least, would just, God would use somebody else. I wish I could tell you I know Stephen is in heaven, but I can't. Here's the thing. I am now determined to live with no regrets about God's moving in my life. I have since repented for disobeying God's clear conviction he gave me, and I know that God has forgiven me. But I use that moment of failure to fuel me, to always respond to convictions God is giving me. A very wise man once told me, delayed obedience is still disobedience. Back in the book, Henry Blackaby says it this way. In the process of experiencing God, obedience is your moment of truth. Your obedience or lack of it will, number one, reveal what you believe about God. Number two, determine whether you will experience his mighty work in and through you. And number three, determine whether you will come to know him more intimately. What's hanging in the balance between your obedience and your faith is your relationship with your heavenly father. We are not talking about salvation. We are talking about, do you love him? I don't believe for one minute Dan was outside the faith and inside the faith because he didn't respond and he wasn't obedient. But I do believe that who knows what the cost was of disobedience. And what if God did raise up somebody else? Dan has no idea if God raised up somebody else to go to Stephen, but he missed the opportunity for it to be him. He missed the opportunity for God to use him in a profound way. Jesus said this way in uh, John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I guess the first question for all of us to ask, me included, is do I love God? Do I love God enough to trust him in his ways, even when they don't make sense to me? Even when I can't see the next step? Even when I don't know where he's going next? Do I love God? That's why Paul in Romans chapter 12, verses one and two, he says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Worship literally means um, to give honor or worth to somebody. And what Paul is saying is the way we give honor and worth to God as we offer him, the only thing we really can offer him, here's me. That's the only thing he really wants. Here's me. And Paul goes on and he says, and then you'll be able to determine what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Here I am, Lord. Obedience doesn't mean this. Let me just be clear. Obedience doesn't mean you're gonna get fame. Man, everybody's gonna know me. I'm gonna be popular. It's gonna be awesome. I met a young man in this church at one point. He was convinced God was calling him into ministry, and he might be, but I'm telling you, I told him, I said, your, your head is on a crooked, man. God might be calling you into ministry, but you're looking at all the ways that you're gonna become famous for serving God. And so every time you do something, you're looking for the pat on the back. You're not gonna get glory. The only one who gets glory is the Father, and he gives it to the Son. You're not gonna become great. There are countless millions, maybe billions of servants of God throughout all of history, and you have no idea who they are. You might not get a fun, exciting, easy, or cheap task, but what you will get for obedience is this. 
Obedience will mean that you get to sacrifice to God, all of you, and you will trust God will never waste a sacrifice. My job is simply obedience. His job is faithfulness. And what happens when we do that? Well, let me just show you a little video that'll help illustrate what happens when we do that. Take a look. <laughs> my story is I went on my first mission trip to Mexico in June of this year and saw the passion and felt the love for Christ uh, through the people at the service. Uh, the room was just filled with the Holy Spirit and it was truly a God-filled experience for me. My plan and my team's plan was to go to Haiti. However, when we arrived in Florida, we found out plans had changed. God had a different plan for our team and we ended up going to the Dominican Republic. Every day was a different plan and we really didn't know what we were doing each day, but we really saw God work through the team members and really see um, how God works in very mysterious ways, even though we had a plan, his plan was very different for us. What I have experienced being on mission is that the world is just a much bigger place than I realized, and God is in every corner of it. I experienced God on my mission trip to Mexico through seeing people who have nothing give everything they have to show people what Jesus looks like. trip. Um, certainly hadn't planned it. I don't think I committed to this one until maybe about a month before when you started prompting me to, to kind of join you. So um, I'd never been overseas. So it was, I mean, it was a stretch. It was a trip to Egypt uh, followed up by heading to Northern Ireland. You know, going to a church, um, Sudanese refugee church was, was amazing. Um, you know, there's basically a tent set up in a, a field and um, they were having a conference that Sudanese church, and you got to preach there, mm -hmm. right, for the first time ever. I got to. Right? <laughs> you, were, you were asked to I preach, asked to. and yeah. God, God spoke through you. And so talk to me about that experience and how you experienced God. I know that that's when God really kind of teaches us and stretches us is when we're outside of our comfort zone. So. Uh, yeah, I was asked to, to preach at a Sudanese refugee church, and um, I kind of blacked out, honestly. I don't even know what I said. But the, the important part for me really was, you know, again, I'd never been somewhere like that. And I mean, it was true poverty, but you would never know. I mean, their excitement, the way that they worshiped was, I guess, unbridled. I mean, they were truly joyful to be together and celebrating, and they were so happy to have us. Talk to me more about what God did uh, in that time in Northern Ireland. Through that and since, I mean, I really feel like I've been called to, to almost a, a mission to pray, and specifically for Kingsway, um, for the people here to experience God the way that people in Ireland are experiencing God, which is a, you know, a, a prayer first. You know, you, you pray and you expect God to actually respond and to do great things. and. Um, that was really for me, 
Um, if I were to sum it up, it was probably my biggest challenge and it was the biggest highlight was seeing people um, pray expectantly, like truly praying things that they expected God to respond to. And so I was praying, you know, God, show me, show me the same thing. Let me, let me have it, you know, talking about experiencing God in our service, let me experience you in a way that I haven't before. The way that he answered my prayer, like he, he does a lot, was not really what, what I was expecting. Um, so a lady came down front and um, was just not in a good place. So Dan starts a prayer and I'm, I'm there with him. And um, at the end of it, uh, I just asked the lady if I could give her a hug. I gave her a hug and, and uh, what I thought was just, um, you know, giving her a word of encouragement. Um, you know, she responded and, and said that, that's exactly what I needed to hear. That's prophetic. I, I've been praying for that specifically. And um, it was um, probably the first time, again, that I truly would say I experienced God. What would you say to somebody sitting uh, in the congregation or maybe online watching this video that has not gone on a mission trip? You know, get up and go. And it's easier said than done. Um, but really, what's if, if if I can do it? Um, again, I'm I'm an accountant. I like I'm a creature of habit. Um, don't necessarily like to do new things. Um, if I can do it, you can do it, and, and you should do it. It is, again, for me, it, was a, it truly was life-changing. I mean, the way, the way that I think about God, the way that I now interact with God through prayer and reading the Bible, it truly was transformational for me. And a mission trip is the perfect place for that to happen. I mean, really, to, to disconnect. Um, from the struggles, the you know, the email, the the constant communication that we have, um, disconnect from that, and go spend a week doing nothing but serving other people, um, truly giving yourself, being the hands and feet. You know, there's nothing truly special about Ireland or Egypt that's different than than Avon. Um, so we can have that here, but it's it's that mission trip that really connects that, plugs it back, shows us what what our mission really is here. It's a wrap. Good job. Good job, man. Thank you. I made him cry. Yeah, I really did not expect that. The price of diesel fuel had spiked, so bus drivers were on strike, so that the kids did not have school that day. So they were there more than willing to help us translate for the pastors with the medical clinic. Without them, it would have been nearly impossible to effectively communicate with them and uh, understand their issues. I experienced God as Jehovah Jireh on our trip to India. I was scheduled to um, do the devotions for the boys and girls. I felt that God had given me the specific message to speak to those children about how important and valuable they were to Him. And, and they heard what I had to say. They heard God's message. I went to India 
and just really experience God's presence because we are halfway around the world and he is just as close to me and his children um, there in India as he is to us in Avon. No matter which country I go to, I found that even if we don't speak the same language, we all speak the same language of love. I'm obviously older, I have grandchildren, and I always thought to be a, to go on a missions trip, you had to actually be a missionary. I didn't know ordinary people like me could actually go on a missions trip. But then when I found out, we, I, I got to go to the orphanage in Peru, I was so excited, I couldn't believe it. What I've learned from going on mission trips is that I'm never more happy or content than when I come to the realization that God is using me at that time to accomplish whatever His will might be. I talked to you earlier about my friend Dan and I shared his testimony. Well, if you'd give me the, the opportunity, I'd like to bring Dan and his lovely wife, Brittany, out here. Would you give him a nice Kingsway welcome? So as they're making their way up on stage, you've got to come out here in the middle because I know you hate being on stages and speaking in front of people, so thank you. Uh, this is Dan and Brittany, and um, uh, there's more to the story. So the thing, we kind of left off your story at Stephen with the sub shop, but can you tell me, how did God use that to kind of propel you into your future, and what happened next for you? Yeah, so God has always used that um, as a marker moment um, to really just fuel me to always um, respond to the conviction that he's given me. Um, and so I really just started um, digging into scripture, praying, seeking God, um, on what is it that he truly wants me to do next. And really, he, he confirmed my call um, through a mission trip again 
that I did need to be a pastor, that he was calling me to that. So you took two different mission trips? Yes. In the yes. same year? Yes. How many weeks of vacation did you get? Two weeks. Oh, you'd almost think I knew that before I asked you. Almost. <laughs> so you gave up both weeks of vacation to go on a mission trip. Wow. Can you give your wife the mic for a second? You get, you're done for now. Um, Brittany, what was that like? You had, did you already have both little babies then? I did. Three and under. Yes, three and under. And your husband disappears for both weeks of vacation in a year. He sure did. What was that like? What were you feeling at that time? Oh, man. It was definitely challenging and growing time. I had many days of tears, and it was really hard to let him go. Yeah. Now, what made you come to the conclusion, after the first time, we're going to do this a second time? Well, um, I just think after the first time, it was just like, I can't tell you no, and I know that this is God's will for, for you to do this, so. So would you give your husband back the mic now? You get another chance now. But So God used both of those to reconfirm in you this desire, and to give you a little bit of the fast forward, so Dan and I kind of continued to talk, and Dan was trying to sign up with Francis Chan to take this training there, and you signed up for college, you were going to go to Bible college. All of that was still, if I'm understanding you, your attempt to do what? To um, really just to, I would say, control God and say, okay, well, I'm going to figure it out. I'll make the, these steps. And, yeah. yep. All right, God, I'm going to do it now. I'm ready. I'm going to go. All right. And so what, what kind of changed? There was a catalytic moment where this thing happened. Tell us about what that thing was. Yeah, so, so I had basically, Brittany and I had prayed um, continuously about God. All right, I know you're calling me to be a pastor. So um, what does that look like? And God was not giving me clear steps and directions um, so I figured, well, I'll come up with them. And uh, so Brittany and I prayed and fasted. And um, really at that point, I created the idea of, all right, Brittany, you're a registered nurse, but you get to stay home. So for now, why don't you go back to work, maybe part-time, and then I'll take a step back. I'll work part-time, um, and then I'll go to school online, and uh, we'll just we'll make it work. Yeah, so give your wife the mic. I want to hear from her. So what was it like when Dan comes to you and says, all right, here's the thing. I believe God's calling me to this. You believe God's calling me to this. Except for here's what it's going to take. You've wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. You're doing it. You're doing a great job. You love it. But it's going to mean you have to go back to work. What was that like for you? It was heartbreaking. I bet. I, I mean, I know you remember I would be crying about it because yeah. I just love being a mom. And right. um, that was just a really tough, a tough choice. But... I just felt like we had to do that. And I knew I had to sacrifice that so that you would be able to do this. So how did the two of you experience God in the midst of this difficult time and this massive thing and you sense God's presence? How did he show up to kind of comfort you, provide for you, meet your needs? Yeah, so um, in that moment, Brittany had been applying for jobs and we knew that she'd have to get a job eventually if she keeps applying um, and so she got three um, interviews all back to back, but all three were no's. Um, and so it was a Friday, still remember around lunchtime, and I had found out about that, and I was very frustrated, um, trying to figure out, God, what are you telling me? And I, that day, that afternoon, right when it all kind of came to a head, I received a phone call saying there was an opportunity um, to be a missions pastor at Kingsway, and my name had come Wait, up. you're on staff? Yeah, yeah, you when don't know. What happened? Yeah. Just kidding, go ahead, sorry. No. And so that opportunity arose, and um, through conversations and interviews and things like that, the opportunity came, and I'm now the missions pastor at Kingsway. Right, but when it first came to you, it was not full-time, it was? 
It was an interim part-time position. Interim part-time. So not only are you reducing your hours, there are no guarantees about your future, my friend, right? And you still said... I said yes. And what changed after that? Tell me about both her side and your side. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so for Brittany, she ended up ex- accepting a job. Um, she got... Um, it would be the day that I interviewed for this position. She was going to start the next day. Um, as a registered nurse at Hendricks, but that job was only going to be on call, so we didn't have any guaranteed pay at that point. We didn't know what it was gonna look like financially, and then for me, again, it was interim, it was part-time, significant pay cut, and so the bills would not be paid. Um, So financially made no sense, Um, but we spent a lot of time praying and fasting, and I had to really just kinda, we've been reading and experiencing God, it talks about spiritual markers, Um, So really, I just had to define what those were, seek God, and he just showed me this is the step that I need you to take. Um, So we both agreed after prayer, um, and we took this step, and uh, yeah. So part of what, if you've been here for any length of time, if you're visiting with us, watching online, we want to welcome you. We hope you're still sticking around here for this. You hear me say a lot, right? If something's too ironic to be ironic, you should probably not assume it's ironic. You should probably assume it's the hand of your heavenly father leading, guiding, and doing stuff in your life. When you show up for a job, for an interview, and that same day your wife gets offered a job and it meets the need you were praying about to some extent, and but do you hear in their story too the tension, right? It's real. Like there's a struggle there. Like sacrifice is involved. Part of the reason the original plan was to bring Dan out here and I said, I want Brittany out there because I think there are a lot of people in our congregation who can connect with her because every time one of you, especially if you're married, goes on a mission trip, the other one is staying home with the kids, which is what my wife does every single time, and it's a sacrifice and it's a service for her to me to do that and I wanted you to hear from her yeah it's hard sometimes but it's worth it for my God it's worth it for my husband to go and be able to serve God to be able to be faithful to what he has called us not just him us to do after the last service uh, I was out there and I ran into some people in the hallway a couple of elders and some others too who said, man, I went on a trip last year and I was sitting there going, can I do that again? Can I go to my spouse and ask them uh, if I can go again this year? And, and then you kind of brought Brittany up and I was feeling convicted. And then before I could respond, it was two men, my wife walked up and she, she responded first. <laughs> well, that's just smart. She's like, if I can get there before you, no, I'm just kidding. So she responded first and said, I want to go this year. And he's like, now I got to figure out, like these are men, right? I got to figure out how I'm going to wash my kids for seven to 10 days and, not, and make sure they're all there when she gets back. So that... She can go and respond to the Lord in this way. And it's a powerful, powerful moment. So there's two reasons I wanted to do this. Number one, I wanted you to meet Dan, our missions pastor, because many of you didn't know who he was and hadn't met him yet. And number two, I wanted you to be able to see the two of them together and hear their story, and I hope be inspired that in spite of the anxiety, in spite of the lack of questions, in spite of, at times, the difficulty, the faithfulness of God, who showed up, spoke, convicted provided over and over and over again. In between uh, the 8 a.m. and the 9, uh, Dan came to me and he said, Matt, um, I don't know if you know this or not, but at the end of that video you just watched, there's a number, but it might be a little bit misleading because there's another number. I want him to share that with you. What was that number, Dan? Yeah, so you saw in there's a little over 300,000 that um, Kingsway trip participants raised, fundraised for. And those covered, just to give an idea, like they covered what? Trips-wise, yeah, um, yeah, twenty-three trips. Well, so covering airfare, food, travel, yeah. projects on the ground, like building apartments and things, everything. Yes, yes, three hundred something thousand dollars, and that represented. Before we get to the next number, that represented how many people went on mission trips last year? 
roughly when we get here to, to the end of October, about 220 people. 220 people raised 300 and something thousand dollars. Can we just stop and say amen? But that's in addition to what? So Kingsway. Um, to us. Yes. <laughs> we give over $500,000 locally and globally around the world for ministries. So almost a million dollars was given last year through all of you and your friends and family and loved ones to partner in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Can we just stop and say, yeah, God, for a minute? Yeah, it's awesome. Now, here's the thing. Today's a special day. We're almost at the 12-month anniversary of when we did this for the first time. Because what I want you to do right now is reach in front of you. There's going to be a yellow card. It's going to say serve on it. Go ahead and pull that out right now. It should be in front of you or near you. And you'll notice on the front of that card, it'll say something like your first name, your last name, your phone number, your email. Then it'll have you check a box. Are you uh, in between this age range or are you over 18? Some of you ought to be happy just to check a box that says you're over 18 and not say anything more than that. I want you to fill that out. I know you're like, what am we doing, Pastor? Just take a moment. How hard is it to write your first name, last name, email, phone number? age range. Then I want you to flip it over. And on the back of that card, you're going to see that it has a bunch of countries around the world. The same countries that when you walk outside these doors in just a few moments, you're going to see a whole bunch of tables set up with those very countries listed. India, Haiti, Dominican Republic, Brazil, Peru. The list goes on and on. Ireland, Mexico, these are the places where we are traveling to in over the next 12 months. We've got sometimes one and two, even three trips planned to these places. And I am calling you to listen to the voice of God. And if he's telling you to go, go. Because this is not about how do I get the money? Somebody came up to me at last service and said, I want to go, but how do we pay for it? I said, don't worry about that. I have an answer, but I'm not going to give it to you. I want to know that you're going to be faithful to God regardless of how he answers it. But I'm not sure exactly the dates. I want to know that you're going to be faithful to God regardless of when it lands. But what about my kids? I want to know that you're going to be faithful to God before you work out the details of how. You'll get to the how, but you have to start with the what. Is God calling me to respond to him and join him and work all around the world? And if he's calling you, I want you to check a box. You can check more than one. If you aren't sure, just check other. It's really simple. And what we're going to do is we're going to respond to God. We're not going to let a moment pass. So in just a moment, you're going to come down these side aisles. You're going to come to the front. There'll be a man and a woman on each side of the stage. You're going to walk up to them. You're going to hand them the card and say, I'm going. I'm going. I'm in. I'm doing this. I'm going to be obedient to God and follow him wherever he tells me to go. Then you're going to walk up the aisle, depending on which direction you're coming from, and you're going to hit. There's a little button on here. It's really more like a bar. And it's got a little thing, you hit it. You don't touch it, you hit it. And it's gonna light up the stage. And it's gonna let the rest of the room know that God is moving in this place and the hearts of men and women who are listening and following him to go to the ends of the earth. In fact, this will be my second time doing it, but I'm gonna be first. In a minute, I'm gonna jump down from this stage after praying and I'm gonna hit that bar. And I'm asking you to listen to the voice of God and join me over the next 12 months and going somewhere to serve him on a mission trip. Let's all stand and I'll pray. Heavenly Father, God, you know we've been knocking on heaven's doors. You know right now there's some people who are uncomfortable in this place. 
because we've been praying that you would disrupt their lives, that you would blow up their plans, that you would change their thinking. God, we know that for Dan and Brittany, it didn't come because they sat back and just said, God, okay, whatever you want, whatever you want. No, they started taking active steps. They started wrestling with the difficulty, the struggle, the sacrifice, and it was real and it was palpable, but so was your presence, so was your provision, and it still is today, God. You are not gonna abandon them. You'll never leave them. You'll never fail them. God, please let us be a people who live with no regrets. God, let us be a people who throw down our fears, cast away our anxieties onto him. He is good and faithful. He will not fail us. God, help us to live out of that, to act that way in response to what we believe in our hearts is true of you. Stir in this place now. In the powerful name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, all God's people said, amen.